Well, as I mentioned, we're in the second week of this series called Apps for Life. And we've been looking at our use of technology, and it's a bit of a mirror as to what's going on in our lives, the way we use technology. We started last week with the camera app, right? And we talked about selfies. Now, I don't know, I'm not a big selfie guy myself personally. I'm a little uncomfortable, a little shy about being on camera. But I don't know, does anybody like to do selfies? Is that a good, a few of you do, all right? Yeah, it's just like one of those things. It's a good thing. And you know, not all selfies are actually done with the camera, the selfie camera. Some of them are done in a mirror. Have you noticed that? You ever wonder why? Like, why do people do it? Well, that's because the selfie camera, you can't get it far enough away to capture enough stuff, you see? So that's kind of like what technology is. It's a mirror that's reflecting back to us what's going on, the way we use it. It's a mirror that reflects back what's going on in our lives. But you know, technology in and of itself is not bad or good, is it? Technology is neutral. It's how we use it. And this is such an important point as we go through this entire series. We don't want to say technology is bad because it can be used for very good things, like checking in on Facebook. It's very important to make that distinction. I, I, just a week ago, I took this picture with my camera app after a day with my family, celebrating, being together, celebrating good things. Allison, as you can see, is pregnant, and she's continuing to get, well, more pregnant, <laughs> bigger. That's awesome. My, my other daughter, Emily, has a new dog, a new puppy. And so I get to keep that in, a, in about two weeks for a week, so you guys pray for me, all right? <laughs> Get to keep her puppy for the first time. And her, her husband is, has just overcome a very, very serious illness. And, and my beautiful wife, I'm celebrating 40 years of marriage in a couple weeks. And, you know, just amazing things. And now we have this memory. So technology is good because it's given me this memory and I can hold on to it. And I'm sure you have many photos like that that remind you of the blessings that God has given you in your life. So it's not, it's not the technology that's bad. What we're looking at is how we use the technology. And, and to really fully understand why uh, we use things and do things that we do, we, last week we went back to the garden, to the Garden of Eden, to the place where Adam and Eve first sinned. And we learned about this definition of sin, that sin is really love turned in on self. Just think about that definition for a minute. Instead of love flowing out to other people, now we have, because of the sin in the garden, the definition is that love is flowing back. It's curving back to us. That's selfishness. That's the move from selflessness to selfishness. And we wondered, you know, if they would have had the technology, would they have done the selfie? You know, would they have done it? Would Satan be smiling? I think so. Would they have tweeted after that? I don't know. Possibly. <laughs> it's possible because it's all about them now. And that's what we've inherited. That's what we are as well. We want to be in the picture. We want to be the center of attention. We, it's all about us. Because we have this selfish nature in us that we are born with as people. Now it's important to understand that Adam and Eve's story, of course, doesn't end here. Because now they are, they are expelled, from, they're expelled from the garden. They're kicked out of a presence with God. They are kicked out of a, a garden where they had everything they could possibly want. Everything was provided. There was no striving for stuff. 
It was all there. It was a place of a relationship. It was a place of abundance, and they were kicked out. And that's been our experience in our lives. We know that we don't live in paradise anymore. In fact, God wrote this about what happened. He said, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Anybody feel like they've been there and struggled for existence? Even when we have stuff, work is hard, this is difficult, and we struggle. The earth will grow thorns and thistles for you. That's our lives. There's thorns and thistles. And you're going to eat, certainly, but it's going to be by the sweat of your brow that you'll have food to eat until we do what? Until we return to that ground as dust. You see, the, the curse, the curse tells us when we look at it that we've lost a lot. We have lost relationship. We have lost abundance. We have lost the very design for life that God planned for you and for me. And you know, here's what happens. Because we live now in this state, we seek to reverse the curse. How do we do that? Well, we do that through trying to survive and get stuff. And it's not bad, but it's a struggle. And there's, a, there's like a whole group of people that are helping with that. The whole business that's there, it's called retail. Right? So that we can have stuff. So that we can, in some small way, be comforted in this time where we know that we're separated from what God originally intended, but we can have some stuff. I first encountered this whole idea of retail as a kid at my house. We would wait very, very with great anticipation for this to arrive every year, the Montgomery Ward catalog. <laughs> Anybody remember that? That was the first technology to get stuff that I was exposed to. And I'd look through it, you know, I'd look through it, look for uh, tools, because I love tools to build stuff. And they had musical instruments in there. And I'd, of course, as I got older, I got teenage years, I got looking at the clothes too a little bit, you know, like... Because, you know, Adam and Eve, they had to knit together like Lee's, but these two have denim leisure suits. <laughs> Styling. And you'd order from that catalog, and then you'd go where? To the store to pick it up. You'd wait in line. Anybody remember waiting in line at Montgomery Wards to pick up a package? Maybe at Christmas time, because the Christmas catalog was the extra special one, right? I mean, that was the one that I really poured over. But we moved on from that technology. We moved on. We got the next level of technology in the little town that I grew up in. It was called a Walmart Supercenter. <laughs> and you could get anything you wanted at Walmart because it's a super center. It had lots of stuff for us. And uh, to this day in the little town that I live in, the Supercenter is where you go to meet the most interesting people you can imagine. <laughs> Walmart. And you buy it for less. But nothing compares here. Nothing compares to what's going on today because we have a new contender for retail to sell us stuff. And it's called Amazon.com. Amazon.com. And, and about 80% of us use it now. And, and they promise everything from A to Z. They're the everything store, they say. You know, that they put a smile on your face because you can get everything you want at Amazon. That's their business model. It's one stop, it's easy, and it's fast. It's really fast. 
Uh, they've developed technology to make sure that it's fast, a fast experience, because they know that with that technology, they can get you to buy more. One thing they've done is a one-click. Anybody uh, purchase? Anybody buy with one click? I'm addicted, okay? I'll admit it. It's there. But they don't stop there. I mean, they're, they're just on a, they're on a roll. They actually have devices where you can speak to them and say, please send some paper towels, and it shows up at your front door. It's called Alexa. Anybody got one of those at home? Okay, yeah, we do. We do in our house. But you have to be very careful around Alexa because, well, you know, like this little girl, she ordered this dollhouse and four pounds of cookies, and it showed up at her house. <laughs> True story. It's like over $200 worth of stuff. It just showed up. She figured it out. But they didn't stop there. They didn't stop there. They have something called the dash button. And so what your dash button is, you put it where, right next to the product that you want to order. And when you run out, you push it and the product shows up. I mean, I'm thinking even with their um, same-day delivery that that's way too long if you get into that situation. <laughs> it's going to be way too long. Yeah, yeah. So they've got uh, extra fast delivery, but not fast enough to be sure. But their business has taken off. It's taken off. Last year, 107, or in 2015, 107 billion dollars. This year, it's like 100. Or last year, 2016, 135 billion dollars in sales. Imagine that. Selling stuff. Our gross national product is 70 percent consumer retail the highest in the world. What's our product? We have consumers that buy stuff. That's what this country is all about. It's been built on that. And why? Because we want to reverse the curse in some small way. We want comfort. We want stuff. We want to feel secure. We want to know that we've got enough stuff. Just this past week, Amazon celebrated Prime Day. Anybody know what Prime is? Okay, what happens when you get Prime? You get free Shipping. So you don't even have to pay for shipping. Of course, you have to pay for Prime, but that's okay. It feels better when you order to know that you're getting free shipping, even though you've already prepaid the ship. Well, anyway, you get the idea. So this week they had Prime, and it was $2 billion in sales in one day. One day. I had this text thread with my daughter. She says, did your Prime expire? I'm going, oh, she must be trying to order something, you know? What's going on? All right, so I checked in on the website. You know, I went and I said, well, that's curious. Let me go check. I don't think it's expired. And uh, so I looked and I wrote her back. I said, it looks like Pri the Prime website is down. And here's what she wrote back. She said, um, the world is ending. Jesus is on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> and I just grimaced, you know, a little bit, you know. <sighs> because, you know, we all have a little hoarder in us, you know, that we want to make sure we've got our supply line secure and we can get our stuff because if we don't get our stuff, you know, it could be a bad situation. Well, Pastor Tony, he put together a little video to show you just what this might look like. So watch this. How about that? That's pretty fun, isn't it? <laughs> it's a good day when you can hear some bad company in church, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, some of you know the name of that band that did the original song. Well, you know, uh, for every sermon I do, I read a lot of books, and guess where I get them? On Amazon, right? So I ordered a couple books, and I've been reading them about materialism, the problem of materialism, and, it, and it, it's really everywhere. Everybody recognizes this as a problem for our country. And as I read, I picked up on some themes, and here they are. The first one is simply this, stuff possessions can be spiritually perilous because of the nat natural preoccupation with self. We have a natural 
preoccupation with self. Shouldn't be surprising to know that after last week. We are the center of attention. We are living lives of love turned in on self. It's our natural state. There's a danger here. And the danger is that life becomes about the never-ending urge to get more stuff. I can't get enough of Amazon stuff. But we are forever unsatisfied. Why? Because you know what we lost? You can't buy at a store. We don't need an everything store. We need an everything God. You just can't replace what was lost in the garden. But we try, and it's unsatisfying. And here's the, here's the challenge. We cross a line. At some point with our stuff, we can cross a line. And it's a dangerous line because we let that stuff or the activity that it, it's associated with, we let it keep us. We let it keep us from seeking God first. And the, and the question we need to wrestle a little bit with today is, when do we cross that line? How do we know that we've actually crossed the line? Because stuff is not bad in and of itself. It's the position that it takes in our life that's the challenge. It's when it becomes the thing that we go to to satisfy what only God can provide. That's the problem. That's the challenge. How do we, how do we know when we cross that line? Let's look at this story in Scripture. This is the story of the rich, young ruler. <clears throat> And uh, it's told in three of the Gospels. That's how we know a lot about him and uh, we, how we know he's rich and young and a ruler. You read all of those together and you, you're able to pull that all together. He comes to Jesus and, and, and he comes up to him and he says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now immediately that tells you something. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler, he's powerful, he's got, he's got influence, and yet he doesn't know if he's saved, if he has eternal life. So none of that stuff satisfied his soul. He's going, wait a minute, I, I just, I got to know. I mean, what, what, what has to happen for me to be saved? What has to, has to happen in my life so I know that when I die, when I, when I leave this planet, I know what's going to happen? Now, whenever, whenever somebody walks up to Jesus and says, teacher, listen, because he's going to teach a lesson. In scripture. And so Jesus is going to teach a little lesson here, and it's a very, very important lesson. Now, the second thing you'd note about his question is that you, he's off base already because he says, What can I do? What can I do? What good deed must I do? What thing must I do? And, and we'll see that Jesus has to correct this thinking because it moves away from, Well, it's not about me, it's about what God has done. Well, Jesus replies to this, like any good rabbi, he doesn't answer the question, he actually asks another question. That's what rabbis do, they don't, ask, they don't answer the question, they ask a question in response. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? Why is that a concern to you? How, are, how do you even know good and evil exists? Well, because he had some awareness of God and the commandments. And that's the standard. That's the standard, right? We know God's character, and he, there's only one who is good, the giver of those standards. And, and we know good because we know those standards. 
And, and so people know that. It's written actually on our hearts. And he knows it. The rich young ruler knows it, that there is only one who is good. And it's not the rich young ruler who is good. And then Jesus says something that's very, very peculiar. This is what he says. He says, if you would enter in life, keep the commandments. Is that the standard of Jesus for us to keep the commandments to have eternal life? A lot of people think so. But that's not what we teach here. That's not what we confess as a church. But Jesus is actually saying something that's true. If you could keep the commandments, if you could be as good as God, you could go to heaven. You would have eternal life. But the problem is you can't. But so many people still think they can. I hear it all the time, especially at funerals. He was a good person. No, it's not the case, as we will see. None of us measure up. This is what uh, the rich young ruler says. I think he's looking for a loophole. He says, which ones? <laughs> he's looking for the, you know, the, I kept some of them, but maybe not all of them. And I think maybe I can find a little loophole here. And Jesus says, look, okay, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what he's giving here is the second table of the law. Okay, the Ten Commandments are divided into two tables. And the, the first table is all about the relationship that we have with God. You know, have no other gods before you. Don't take his name in vain. Uh, keep the Sabbath. You know, that relationship with God. And then the rest of them are about how we relate to other people. That's why Jesus summarized. He said, you know, I could summarize the law in just these two statements. Love God and love one another. And so Jesus does that, and, and so what would the response be of this rich, young ruler? How does he characterize his own goodness at this point, his own righteousness at this point? Here's the response. He says this, I've kept all these. I've kept all them. I'm a good person. I've done it. I'm good. But yet he still didn't know, did he? He still had a question about eternity. So why is that outage? Why does that disconnect happen? Listen, Jesus had already taught that he wasn't good. He'd already taught, he's already taught that we aren't good. He said it in many different places in many different ways. Here's one example. He says, Jesus writing about the commandments. He said, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it's not a matter of actually carrying out the sin. It's even thinking about the sin, and that's a standard. It's impossible for anyone to keep you and I included. We cannot keep that standard. So therefore, we could never, ever say that we were good enough. And you see, that's the nature of the law. You never know when you're good enough. You know, when you look at religion around the world, outside of Christianity, true biblical Christianity isn't this way, but all other religions are, they put you under the law, and you've got to perform, and you've got, you just never know if you've done quite enough. You just never know. And, and look what happens with the rich young ruler. He says, look, all these I've kept, what do I still lack? You see, he is still under the law, and he is unsatisfied. He has no idea whether or not he's saved whether he's going to heaven. He thinks he has to do more. Jesus is about to teach him a lesson that is very difficult. 
Because Jesus says to him a very radical, uh, almost shocking to our ears statement. This is what he says. He says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Everybody want to sign up for Christianity today? (laughs) Ouch. How does that work? We need to realize this is a custom-made response for this heart. It's not a mandate that Jesus put on everyone who followed him. Peter had a home, for instance. But Jesus knew who he was speaking to, and he knew the spiritual problem that this guy had. Do you think Jesus believed that if, if he went and sold everything, that he would be, then be perfect? Now, it wasn't the act of selling something that would make this man perfect. It was what would be removed out of the way so he could follow Jesus and receive righteousness from Christ. Because really what Jesus was concerned with here is that he would follow Jesus, that the rich young ruler would come and follow him. But all this other stuff was getting in the way, and that's the challenge of stuff. It gets in the way. It takes first place. It keeps us from following Jesus. It keeps us from having a faith that saves. And we walk away from Christ instead of following him. It's easy for us to fall in that trap. It's easy for us to cross that line and begin to trust in our stuff and the security and the comfort of the world. And God takes second place. We have so much stuff. And the activity that it uh, represents and and the time that you have to put into it, whatever the stuff is, it keeps us from worship on a regular basis. It keeps us from small groups where God wants to use that community to shape us and mold us. It keeps us from serving. It keeps us from witnessing to our neighbors because we're so busy with their stuff because we have so much. And God's saying, look, you know, stuff is a blessing, but when it becomes your God, it's a really, really poor God. It's going to disappoint you. It's going to not be satisfying, and it certainly won't save you. And yet our whole country is built on this concept of materialism, that that's the center point of our lives, is to get more stuff. It's our gross national product, is materialism. And it plays upon our selfishness that we learned about last week. And for a lot of people, it becomes our God, their God. Jesus says it's not only a a bad idea, It just flat out doesn't work. He says it in many places. He says, look, materialism won't reverse the curse. It's just going to give you a new curse. And he says this. He says, look, what what good would it be for a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? Obviously, none at all. If If you have everything you want, and if you talk to people, if you study rich people throughout the Throughout the ages, they'll tell you the same thing, that they end up miserable because they have everything. So what good is it to have all that stuff if you lose your soul? And he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because man's life does not consist of abundance of possessions. You see this rich, young ruler who'd worked so hard to collect his stuff was being kept from following Christ and receiving the blessings of that because of his, his possessions. And he knew what Jesus was saying. 
He had full awareness. He had full agreement even. He said, yeah, I understand that. I know. He's sitting there going, well, but what did he do with that information? What he did is he walked away from Christ. He was sad about it, but he could not bring himself to that moment because he had great possessions. He could not walk away. Sit there and think, wow. Do we do that? Do we walk away from God because of stuff? Do we let that keep us from fully following him and enjoying the blessings of of a Christian life as God intended for us? See, we we can't reverse the curse. We We just inherit in materialism a new curse. Only Christ, only Christ reversed the curse. And he did it by taking our sin on his body. He took our punishment on the cross. He gave his life for ours. And in place of our sinfulness, our inability to keep the law, he said, I'm going to give you that perfection if you follow me. It's more than just a mental agreement that I would agree that Christ did that. It's following him with your life. But stuff gets in the way. When Jesus said these words, and as it was recorded in the, in the book of Mark, he said when, when he looked at the young man, he loved him. Because that's what he's doing. He's loving us when he tells us, be careful, there's danger in stuff. He's loving us. He's not trying to, to be a killjoy. He's trying to love us. He's trying to communicate, you're in danger. We are in danger. That's what's going on in our lives. He wants us to know the importance of seeking first the kingdom of God. To seek first that kingdom. To know that we are here for a purpose, a reason. That God has given us work to do in the kingdom so that other people might know who he is and what he's done for us. To receive that gift of righteousness fully, to know that we are righteous, not because of our ability to keep the law, because we can't. Romans 3.23 says we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we've received now Christ's righteousness. If we're following him, we have it. And then all that stuff gets sorted out and put in order. It's easier not to cross the line, but it's always a danger. So let me ask you as we close, is there some place in your life where you're dangerously too close to that line? Is there something God's asking you today to give up so you can follow him? I want you to pray about that. Think about that. Consider that. It's not a one-time thing. It's a constant lifestyle that I would wake up every day and say, I want to seek God today. I want to put him first. And it's a battle. I get it. I battle with it all the time. But I want to encourage you today to know that it's worth it. Whatever has to be given up, it's worth it. We've seen it in a lot, in, probably in your life. I know I've seen it in my life that when I give it up, whatever it is, whatever, whatever thing that I think is so important and I follow Jesus, it's a blessing. I pray that we would live together in a church, as a church, seeking him first. Seeking him first and enjoying that righteousness of Christ and that we would be a community that could show the world what that looks like. And I pray that you'd experience that too. Let's pray. Father, thanks for today, the blessings that you pour out on our lives, the material blessings. We pray that you would not let those 
blessings become our God. That we would not cross that line. Help us to give up whatever it is we need to give up so that we can follow you. That we can seek first your kingdom. May it be so in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We get to experience today the reversal of the curse. We get, we get to receive it again in the body and blood of Christ. The gift of forgiveness, the, 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 the switch from a person who is cursed to a person who is blessed. It's why Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and blessed it, and then he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. It's been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they'd eaten the bread, Jesus took a cup of wine. And he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take drink. This is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. Shed for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you drink of it, remember that the curse has been reversed. That we are no longer under the law, that we have been set free as people to follow him. Don't run back and get another God. I'm the everything God. You don't need the everything store. That's what he's saying. And in this meal, we receive everything we need. Do you believe it? Do you believe that's what Jesus did on the cross? If you do, say, yes, I believe. Yes, Yes, I believe. believe. Do you believe he's here to deliver that message today, his body and blood in this bread and in this wine? If you believe that, say, yes, I believe. Yes, Yes, I I believe. believe. I want to remind you that the prayer partners are available. If you need prayer uh, for any reason during communion, please take advantage. Uh, Let them lift you up in prayer. Come, all is ready.